Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man, we started getting some visitors. every universe. Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die fighting Spider-Man. Their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Don't. Look, there has to be another way. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter. You're struggling. You want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone. They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. December 17th, exclusively at movie theaters. Tickets on sale November 29th. Spider Monday. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC. This is episode number 340, if you can believe it. It's our second episode of the year 2022, and we are discussing something very, very exciting tonight. Something you could say 
has uh, been very sought after and long time coming, but I feel like I feel like it's just as relevant as it was a month or so ago. It really, this is not, this topic is still huge. Um, and it just so happens to be like the number one movie in the United States right now. Just, just throwing that out there. It's, it's still very, very popular. Very, very popular. We're going to be discussing all about it tonight. Before we get into that, of course, introductions are in order. My name is Ben and joining me, He's the guy you see over that way. Oh, no, actually, that way. That way. I, I could get this right. He's over there. This is my buddy, Mr. Zach Arnold. How's it going, man? Yeah, I got to point away from it and, like, go the other direction. I'm actually pointing at the wall, but it looks like I'm pointing at you. Uh, hello, everybody on YouTube, and hello to everybody that's catching us on Podcatchers. Thanks to everybody who's tuning in, uh, whatever platform you, you uh, catch this podcast on. Uh, I in. Very excited, but if I'm going to be honest, I'm also just a little bit uh, emotionally drained. I have had a heck of a day, and this is just like the crowning moment of closing out this heck of a day. I, I went from taking my brother to school. He's got like a like a learning program he does in the mornings. I went from that to an audition for a sports Ooh. job Ooh. and then went almost immediately from that to go watch the movie one more time <laughs> so that I could brush up and be fresh about it. And then I was home for like maybe an hour and a half, just, you know, finally chilling with Netflix for a little bit and then popping on here. So it's been kind of a, a whirlwind of a day, but I'm really, really excited to be talking about this movie. Like you said, Highly anticipated. I feel somewhat overdue, but like you said, still super relevant. I think it got usurped by Scream for just one weekend. Um, just one weekend. The weekend that Scream released, everybody went to go check it out. And then everybody was like, yeah, okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to go see this movie again. So um, I'm I'm really excited that we, we finally get to talk about it. And we're going to get to dedicate a couple of hours to it because we'll need at least that long. Yes. So if you haven't already guessed it, um, if you haven't looked at the title of this episode for some reason and you just let it autoplay, maybe I do that sometimes. Um, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home tonight. Oh, and uh, I don't really think I, I feel like there's no reason for like spoiler free thoughts. We've been over that. I feel like most everyone's kind of on the same page. There's like posting interviews with the cast three specifically um like publicly open like this is all out in the open i don't know if you're not spoiled yet or you haven't seen the movie i don't know how you're surviving honestly um because this is all all the stuff's out there um so yeah we won't be messing around with 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 no spoilers okay we're going full tilt all into this we need to discuss so many things because we this really movie do. is it's incredible it really is and I'll just go ahead and start off by saying that, and I got into this a little bit, I think, last time, was the fact that I it, I really can't stress enough how worried I was about this movie. I was genuinely thinking, okay, it looks good. The trailers look good. It sounds good. We're probably going to get the three Spider-Man. It's going to be a multiverse story. Doctor Strange is in all this good stuff. But it could suck. <laughs> it really could because you see all these villains. You see all this stuff happening, all of these moving pieces. And what have we heard for years? Oh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, it sucked because there was too many villains. 
A Spider-Man 3, it sucked because there's too much going on, too many villains. I've heard that for years. Mm-hmm. And going into this movie, I'm like, are they making the same mistakes again? And, and and I also thought it felt like Sony was trying to like one-up themselves or trying to catch a trend and like, oh, we did Spider-Verse and that was great. So we're going to do it in live action. And we're gonna it's going to be great. We're just going to shoehorn all these characters into it. As much as I wanted to see Toby and Andrew back, I was worried that this movie had too much on its plate. Um, and you know, it, I, just down to the wire of like this movie releasing, I'm like, man, I, I, there's so much expectations. How could it possibly meet these expectations? But how wrong I was, I really, the, the amount of positivity I've seen and the amount of positivity I have about this movie that we have about this movie, how good it actually is and what this movie accomplished is genuinely astounding we're looking at right now as of earlier this week it earned 1.69 billion dollars globally was and perhaps even moved further up on the thing since since this came out uh, the sixth highest grossing film of all time in movie history yeah so, box office mojo still has it sitting at number six but here's here's the five that are in front of it okay just barely in front of it in fifth place is Infinity War. And then in fourth place is a little film called The Force Awakens. Right. And then at third place is a classic called The Titanic. And then at number two is Endgame. And then number one, which is probably never going to be usurped at this point, is uh, Avatar. Right. And so you look at this list. Going on behind it, you've got Jurassic World at the seventh spot, the 2019 Lion King at eight, uh, the 2012 movie Avengers is still in there in the top ten at number nine, and then Furious Seven rounds out the top ten. We have one, two, three, four MCU movies in the top ten, and three in the top six all time. That is just that is just insane to think about that it like just just sit there and think about that for a moment out of all the movies that exist out there in the world out of all of the motion picture blockbuster hits that have been out there we have been blessed to see four mcu films within the last 10 years crack their way into the top 10 financial successes of all time and this movie we're sitting here less like just a little over a month after it released in the middle of a global pandemic might i add Mm -hmm. and it's still number one at the box office in the u.s granted not a lot of really strong competition but it's still like people are flocking to the theaters to see this movie and you know and i yeah i i will think you know be careful always use your head um, but if you can and you haven't already, go watch this movie in the theater because it is well worth it to see it on a big screen and it's 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 a phenomenon. I I I can't believe I'm surprised, but I am. I'm surprised by like the success of this movie and how how good it was. So our friend Joel in the chat brings up an interesting hot take, if you will. Friend of mine said Spider Man No Way Home made to him the MCU Spider-Man, the best superhero trilogy of all time. 
that's and hot take. I agree with him. I would. I have, I have a hard time disagreeing. I really it, do. I think it might. It probably almost definitely is my favorite and easily one of the best. I mean, it's up there. Dark Knight trilogy, Spider-Man Home trilogy. It's it's up there with in the pantheon of excellent, excellent trilogies. I think it's definitely the best Spider-Man trilogy we've got so far that we've only gotten one other one. Um, but I would even count, you know, I just recently watched Amazing Spider-Man. I didn't think it was that bad. Okay. But this is so the the way this whole trilogy is constructed, I think, is brilliant in the fact that, you know, you had even the criticisms of those earlier films like Homecoming have now been brought back around. And, you know, I think it fixed it, quote unquote, for a lot of people. No way home. So, you know, I never had problems with Homecoming. I went Nor back. Nor did I. Nor did I. I went back and saw Homecoming not too long ago and really, really enjoyed it. So. Like, I don't really have a problem with Homecoming. I And, you know, as much as I love certain individual movies that are a part of a trilogy, as far as the most complete trilogy is concerned, I would tend to agree. Like, I probably didn't care for Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3 all that much. And I didn't really care for X-Men Apocalypse. You know, like, like Days of Future Past, obviously awesome and first class was pretty good um but to to have to have this uh this much financial success and to have these this many um these many critical acclaims fan acclaims it's hard to find a trilogy that can even remotely compare which is really awesome yeah, I because I'm thinking like, let's compare No Way Home to other third movies in a trilogy. Um, you know, I think I think this beats out Dark Knight Rises in my opinion. Um, as much as I love that trilogy, um, I would even put it up against Return of the Jedi. Just I'm just gonna put that out there. I might put it above Return of the Jedi. That's a hot take. Um, not sure how I feel about that, but that's I mean that's where we are now. Like, it's it's it, it's that good. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I know we do these ratings at the end of the show, but I'm very, very inclined to just go ahead and give my rating now. <laughs> because I mean, Hey, we can start with plan scores. There's no rules here. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I feel like it's going to be no surprise um, how it's going to turn out. So um, let, let's talk about some of the components of this film. And um, just what it what it does and how masterfully it does it, because when you look at at how this film does and all the things that it covers, it's actually really, really impressive because you you get everything from an immediate follow up to far from home. All the way to five different villains getting some sort of quote-unquote redemption arc to adding a couple of other Spider-Men to the mix to, you know, the the paparazzi-like news coverage of the Daily Bugle. You know, there's so many different elements that get included in this one movie that 
I'm I'm actually really really impressed that they were able to put it all in one film. It like is. I know it's got I know it's got a rather long runtime, but it didn't feel that long. I've watched it twice in the theaters now, and it didn't feel all that long at all. Yeah, it, it I think I think the runtime fits it and I think it's very well paced. It you know, there is it's not the most action packed Spider-Man movie, but it's not supposed to be. It really shouldn't be. It's one of the most emotional ones, one of the most darkest ones. Um but it still manages to take all these elements which I think in maybe other studios hands or just being another movie could have been an absolute train wreck it really could this has like i said it has bad news written all over it. like how do you juggle all of these things all of these villains all these heroes right. um and all these different elements and still deliver on a story that's centric to tom holland's peter parker i think that's what this movie does exceptionally well is it tells a complete story with him Mm-hmm. And it's not just about all the gimmicks. You're you're going to the theater. Let's be honest. Most of us went to the theater. We're going to see Toby and Andrew. We're going to see you know Doc Ock and all these different characters. That's great. But mm-hmm. it's it's not held together, and it's not going to hold your attention. And it's not going to resonate with you if we're not pulled in and we're not getting that resolution for Tom Holland's Peter. And the fact that this movie manages to do all these things and still has the core of it is hissing. And it's not even, you know, you have the other Peter Parkers coming in and and you would think that would detract from it. It really doesn't. They are there to support him. They are there to inform his story and, and, you know, come in, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this movie. I'm thinking, Oh, they're going to come in and it's going to be a really big fight. And they're just going to show up. No, they come in at the lowest point. They come in when he is at his lowest he's ever been in his life. He just lost Aunt May Mm -hmm. and they get to tell him we've been there. We know exactly how you feel. It kind of goes back to, you know, another one of my favorite Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where, you know, Miles has just lost uh, uncle Aaron. And he's saying, you don't know how I feel. And they're like, uh, we're the only people in the universe pretty much that do know exactly how you yeah. feel. And that that's, you know, that's the whole thing. And to have, bring him back from the brink and have Andrew just pour his heart out, you know, it's like, yeah, look, I, I, the getting more of both their backstories, not just their backstories, but like what happened to them after their movies, I think was mm-hmm. fascinating, but it was all, it wasn't just like, Oh, fan service. Oh, here's things, things, here's something that is directly, giving you something to hang on to and giving Tom Holland something to react to and, and what's important for his character. And boy, did he react that, that, that scene on the school rooftop where, where Ned and MJ hug him. And then he turns around and he sees the other two Peters. Like, honestly, in my opinion, I think that scene was Tom Holland's, best moments as an actor he like, really brought it i game. think he really showcased his acting chops there better than just about anywhere else that i've ever seen him in like i i've seen him in a couple of other things uh outside of spider-man uh but i i truly believe that scene there where he is like on the verge of emotional collapse tom holland just 
freaking sells it and knocks it out of the park. And I believed him. I believed him when he was feeling that pain. I believed him when he said he wanted to kill Goblin. I believed him when he said, you have no idea what I'm experiencing right now. Like, for a viewer, he's right. I've never lost anyone that close to me yet. Like, I've been very privileged and very blessed to not lose any super close relatives like that. So when he says that, I know he's saying it to the other Peters, but it's almost like he's saying it to me also. And I'm like, dude, you're right. You're right. I I don't know what it's like. I don't know how I would think or how I would feel or how I would react. And I think that's part of what makes the Spider-Man movies so different from a lot of the others is Spider-Man is a very accessible and relatable character that that personal touch of being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man makes you feel like, Oh, well, if this thing happened to me, maybe I would be, you know, a friendly South Mississippi Spider-Man or (laughs) a a friendly Dallas Spider-Man, you know, like, like what would that look like? And all of a sudden there's some sort of, of tangible, uh relatability that even though we haven't been bitten by radioactive spiders the the delivery and the types of stories that we get makes us wonder how we would respond in the same situation and uh, that that particular scene just sells it for me the the interactions and like you said the almost a supporting slash mentor role that the other two peters kind of take on in this one it it fits into the uh the mcu peter's story so well and complements it rather than detracts from it and that is probably one of the most impressive things that i take away from this film is these characters help make the movie better rather than taking away from a main character like you've seen in other superhero films yeah i think i mean Tom, like the how he portrays not just the sadness, but the but the anger and the bitterness. I love you know when they first show up. His is like, whoa, there's a Spider Man. It's like, okay, I know why you're here, and you know I'm gonna send you back because you know I this is your problem and all this kind of stuff. And this really, you've never seen him say stuff like that and and feel that way before. And I think you know as much as you can, I think you can definitely categorize Andrew and Toby as kind of you know a little bit of you know mentorship of a sort but i think they're also they're 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 framed more in this movie as as peers i think as as characters that as andrew puts like i don't want to see you doing i've been where you are i don't want you to go down this path and they are there to help him not go down that dark path not go down Toby literally stands in front of him, stops him from murdering Goblin. Like <laughs> that scene is incredible, and you know, it, but like that's what they're there for. It's all about him, his struggle, and someone. And I mean, let's face it, that can be some of the most comforting things when you're having when you're in a really bad spot to hear someone say, "Hey, I've been what you're going through, and you will get through this." That's powerful stuff. Yeah, I, I I loved that scene mostly because I didn't see it coming. I I did not see one of the other Peters stepping in, and I think that's one of the other things that I also really enjoyed about this film is there are certain scenes and certain moments that thrive on 
nonverbal cues and nonverbal communications. Sometimes one of the best written movies is one that is delivered by the actors rather than a line that was written by the writers, if that makes sense. Like the two that come to mind for me the most would be that scene where Toby steps in and just shakes his head at him and is like, no, don't do it. The other one for me is the one where Goblin intercepts um, MCU Peter, Peter 1, as MJ's falling. Right. And Andrew's Peter goes down to rescue her, makes the catch, looks at her and is like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Are you all right? And he doesn't say anything. He just cries and nods his head. We all know what's going on in that scene. We all know what's going through his head. We all have seen The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We know exactly what's going on in his head. But they don't flood the scene with some sort of creepy flashback. They don't flood it with too many words and him like gushing about how he lost Gwen. We've already had that scene. He's already said those things on the school rooftop. We don't have to rehash it 20 minutes later. All we need is like a a, a knowing nod and then just just the crying, the nodding his head. And that that was all we needed for that to be a a, a gripping moment. Yeah, it, it, I think this movie does such a great job of balancing the fan service and the nostalgia with story, character, plot, essential stuff, I think. Because it, you do – I mean it's a trend now. It's a trend. It's nostalgia – is huge it sells these days and you know and it can be used for good or ill sometimes and you know people wanted andrew and toby back for obvious reasons they wanted to see what those characters were up to and whatever and we did get a little bit of that but it's not heavy-handed i think it's handled exceptionally well and yeah i would have you know maybe some you know they're talking about the villains that they fought and they're like they basically just talk about what's in the other movies and that's fine you know for most people for a lot of people they may not have seen this movie there's kids watching this movie that have that, that are seeing toby mcguire and andrew garfield for the first time like that's amazing um but like but you know i think it does handle it so well, and it's not – it's all in the service of like either having some fun callbacks or having some very emotional callbacks, but not pointing the finger. This is – you should be crying about this or laughing about this or whatever. It's just there, um, and when it's really important, that's when they kind of say you know things, and when it's directly related to what Tom is going through, that's when they bring it up. Um, that's, that's the whole shtick with this movie is that it, it does – it does that balancing act so, so well that you're not taken out of it. You're not sitting there going like, oh, I roll, whatever. I, I caught that reference, whatever. Like, it's, it's done tastefully. And, and that is, I think, one of the most beautiful things about this movie is the, the blending, the balancing act of being able to hearken back to the stuff that happened previously and allow it to make sense in this movie 
Because, like you said, there may be some MCU fans that didn't watch the previous Spider-Man films, and they are seeing Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire for the very first time. Like, th- those people exist. They're yeah. out there. And and so those people that maybe weren't expecting them to show back up and they haven't seen those movies in years and they don't remember what happened in those movies because they saw them in the theater like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever. Like, there are some of those types of people. And then there are some that haven't seen them at all. So, you know, why is everybody cheering when this this guy who's not Tom Holland takes off his hood? Well, we get a line here and there talking about how she was my MJ. And it starts like being really relatable because we know MJ from this movie. And so be like, oh, yeah, Gwen was my MJ and I lost her like that lets us know that there is tragedy in his life, but it doesn't make us relive the Amazing Spider-Man 2, you know, and and then they say things like my Uncle Ben, you know, saying the exact same thing that Aunt May said, you know, it it, it, it ties into the previous movies. But all he has to say was, that's what my Uncle Ben said right before he died. And, you know, May dies in this film, which I thought was an absolute tragedy. But we'll get to that. But, again, they take something that is a relevant component to the current and existing movie, allow it to tastefully tie into something that happened before, without it detracting from the existing story. I still don't know how they're able to do that every single time. That's the part that baffles me. I didn't do a count, but I would say there's at least 15 of those types of references, minimum, that happen in the final third of this movie where they talk about Gwen being my la- being my MJ. They talk about great power. They talk about, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Like, yes, that's that's helpful in this movie because you need a scientist to help you with this science garbage. But to bring up that line, subtle, tasteful, relevant, helpful, it does all those things just by referencing a meme. It's crazy how well they executed all of that. The best kind of fan service is the fan service that if you're a fan, if you're paying attention, you're rewarded with something. You you get that. You go, oh, I, you're Captain America sitting in the audience. I understand that reference. Mm-hmm. But then normal people, quote-unquote normal people that, that haven't seen all the movies, they're just watching this, mm-hmm. they don't get it. It just goes over their head. I think people can get, and I think some movies are very bad at telegraphing like, oh, look at this. This is important. Right. Well, why is it important? Oh, you're supposed to recognize it. Well, I didn't see that movie, so I don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's this whole thing. Um, and I think this movie just like does it so well. Um, and I, I'm really I, I have like I have like two complaints. One of them isn't even really a complaint. I will try to I will try to go over them at some point. Um, but I, I wanna a little bit talk about, you know, not just the emotion. Of this, and I think I've I've listened to a lot of interviews with Andrew Garfield. Just listen to one. There's one on YouTube. I don't know where it's from. You just type in. There's a big one that's got Tommy McGuire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland all in the same interview. It's great. Oh wow! Um, Take take some time to like watch and listen to that. It's great. Um, all three of them talking. They talk at length about everything. Um, but you know, I've heard specifically Andrew Garfield talk about how you know he you know thought a lot about what his character had been through. And, you know, think one thing about the Amazing Spider-Man movies that I, it is impressive, but also I really don't like about this movie is the fact that they are so dark. 
They are so he's such a brooding character. He's the darkest Spider-Man. He's been through so much. He loses so much. He, you know, he his ending is the darkest ending, really. Um, but in this movie, he is so much fun. He is so enthusiastic. He's I love you guys. And that was an improvised line. He I just said that. it on the set. And I love they're like, I, I think Toby McGuire is like, uh, thank you. And he like, I think it's genuine. Like, it's great. Um, I think this movie is dark. It's emotional. It's telling a very serious, real story. It's, you know, the whole third act takes place after one of the, you know, a tragic scene that brought me to tears, which was Aunt May's death. And I was just like, oh, no, no, no. Why are you doing this? I was not well. Um, But then still has so much fun in that third act and all throughout it. Still cracking jokes. Still has those one-liners. Peter! Peter Parker! Oh, him! Okay, just They do the memes and stuff like that. It's so good. It's so much fun. I think they could have turned this into the Amazing Spider-Man 2, where it's just brooding and dark, and it's not, you know, there's no fun. Um, I think they focused on the best parts. I think Andrew Garfield is great at, like, portraying a dark and brooding Peter Parker, but also a fun and funny Spider-Man. It's all in there. They got all the right stuff from each of these characters, mm-hmm. and they're even helping each other inform it's not just about informing tom holland's peter parker i see you know there's a scene where toby and andrew are talking and you know andrew's like yeah i don't really have anyone thing and Toby's like well yeah i have someone we, we made it work and it's almost like this encouragement for andrew that like okay you can make it work dude i know you've been through a lot but maybe you can she's make it work thing. i think it's like she's she's out there yeah. kind of thing even though toby use again it's another reference to the toby movies where he's like eh, it's complicated like you don't need to watch the toby movies to 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 understand that relationships can be complicated but when you've got it you're like oh yeah i i i, I understood that reference Yeah, you're like you're picturing like oh yeah dancing toby you know the one that you know accidentally hit his hit his girlfriend and stuff like that like that's that toby you know yeah he it would be complicated for him after spider-man 3 like it makes sense i'm gonna go to the chat just a little bit because we've got a very active chat very tonight active it's gonna take some of the input that we've got i gotta scroll like way far back because there's a lot of a lot of stuff um uh, particularly particularly from from people like joel and steven and jesse thank you guys for participating um I think Joel said at one point he believes that um, Green Goblin is the best MCU villain. Any thoughts on that take? I I think that this movie cemented that fact. I really do. I think Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Let's face it. First Spider-Man movie, it's great. It's groundbreaking. It's a huge stepping stone for what we're seeing right now. But the movie's hokey, okay? It's it's a it's a little weird sometimes, okay? It's 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 of its time. Mm-hmm. And Green Goblin himself is a weird take on the character, even though it's classic, it's great. We it gave us what we get in this movie. I get that. Mm-hmm. But he's wearing a mask. You you have that you have the incredible acting talents of Willem Dafoe, and they put his mask on and that, you can't see him. That's one of the other comments in the chat is the appreciation of that mask being shattered very early into Dafoe's appearance. Because the facial expressions, dude, like the, the facial acting, just his acting, just his face. One of my favorite shots is when he's just laughing and Tom Holland is wailing on him 
in the in the hallway and he's like keeps going back he gets pushed back and eventually he just stops and peter's hitting him hitting him he won't move and he's just got this like evil smile on his face he's just <laughs> i'm like wow willem defoe you are a master you are just incredible but that's that's what this thing i think this movie like justified him and like brought him back and did something very very interesting with him and understood that character better than i really did after watching the first movie Mm. um understanding the juxtaposition of of not norman and the green goblin and just putting that fully on display and and it also represents the dilemma of of peter that he is given this choice of we got to get rid of these guys because they're going to send them back to their world so they might die he doesn't want to do that but then he has to wrestle with this guy killed my aunt now i want to kill him Mm-hmm. I wonder what that would have done for, you know, the, the idea of trying to send everybody back home. I, from what I understood, it was kind of an all or nothing type of situation. So if Tom Holland's Peter had given in to killing the Green Goblin, would that have affected the return trips for everybody else? Because he was he was the only one that wasn't cured. I don't know. I don't know. It's it is a bit weird. Um, there was some confusion too about like the whole thing with like, okay, you send them home and they're gonna die. What's the thing? Some of them have already technically died. Mm-hmm. They did kind of play a little fast and loose with the whole logic of like they Doc Ock's back, Alfred Marinley's back. He's the same guy. He's still got the he's still got the chip that's that's fried, and he's still kind of going back and forth. But it's uh, you know, it's they don't like explain like, okay, how did he get here? He clearly like, he knows who Peter is. He doesn't recognize Tom Holland. Um, and all this, the power of the sun and the palm of my hand, all this kind of stuff. It's great. Um, they, they play fast and loose with it. And you know what? That's fine. It works. You know, if I had like a complaint, I'd be like, okay, that's a little thin what they're doing with that. And then you have electro who didn't know who Peter was, but apparently showed up in this movie because everyone's coming to this place because they knew who Peter Parker was. It, okay, I'm I'm just gonna I, you know this movie has so many things going forward. I can forgive. They a couple just of wanted they just wanted Jamie Fox back, man. They they and, completely and fair enough. They they retconned like his entire character design just by being like, "Ooh, I like this world. I'm sexy in this world. I don't have him. Like I don't he, have a like, teeth gap and a comb over in this world." I don't have glasses in this world. I look like Michael B. Jordan in this film. I look like Jamie Foxx in this universe. Hell yeah, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> Whoever that guy was, I don't know, with a come okay. over. For real, though, on the topic of Electro and just villains in general, I promised the chat we were going to talk about villains in general. Obviously, Willem Dafoe kind of steals the show a little bit. But honestly, I really loved having Alfred Molina back as Doc Ock. I really loved having Jamie Foxx back, and here's why. It makes complete and total sense that if this Spider-Man is Tony Stark's protege, then somewhere along the lines, you've got to incorporate an arc reactor. The idea of a Tony Stark arc reactor from 2008 interfacing with a a opponent a villain from the amazing spider-man in another use universe another franchise like having this different energy be one that is like sustaining and capable of of giving him basically unlimited power 
that alone would have made him a formidable foe. But now they're also dealing with Doc Ock. They're also dealing with the Lizard. They're also dealing with Green Goblin. They're also dealing with Sandman. They're like, it's so crazy to think about what they're actually up against. And yet they still find a way to balance, you know, the fight scenes, balance the character development. Sure, there wasn't as much with Dr. Connors as there was with Doc Ock. But let's be honest, people are going for Alpha Molina. They're, they're not going for a talking dinosaur. <laughs> it's it, true. It's great for jokes and it's great to raise the stakes a little bit. But if you had only had Doc Ock and Green Goblin in there, I still would have enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I, I think and I like how the villains are brought in. And obviously they are mostly the same when they start because naturally you're, you're pouring them over and, and we want to see these actors playing these characters again. It's great. Even though I think of the actors that played Sandman and, and the lizard, I think the most, the reason they don't have as big of a role and the reason you never really see Sandman is because like they weren't really there. Mostly vocal performances, which right. fair enough, which fair enough that, you know, you can't really fault them for that. No. Um, so, uh, but like, I like the whole idea of like, they get there and like, you know, Doc Ock's like, where's my machine, the power of the sun and the ball of my hand, all this kind of stuff. But then immediately they start being affected by they're in a different universe. Potentially, I mean, this guy, Doc Ock, has been transported from the year 2002 in another universe to the year 2020, probably 2024, I think, and it's actually in the MCU. Um, and like things are changed. Like he immediately like he gets the nanotech and it starts integrating in, into his suit. Electro steals Stark tech and gets all that. Um, and then you have the whole thing with, you know, what they're using to try to um, to cure them. Um, you know, I, I, well, I like that a lot. I like the fact that, you know, these villains kind of morph into a little bit different and they get to do something different and also maybe fix a few things because yeah, Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's a, it's a, it's a design. It's acquired taste. Okay. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, I think this is the better version. I think that, you know, they, they made the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can go along with that. I, I definitely can go along with that. Um, I think one of the other things that I found really impressive and you can you can debate this with me all that you want. I don't feel like many people will, but you know, I I feel like there may be some people that didn't care for this particular storyline. I I really liked how there was kind of a, a a redemption arc of sorts for Doc Ock because he he comes back and helps the Spider-Man. You know, he shows up at the Statue of Liberty and helps. And I really honestly wasn't expecting that. Considering how everything had gone for our characters and our heroes up to this point, I really thought we were still going to have a, a villainous Dr. Octavius. And then you have that touching, heartwarming moment where Otto's looking at a grown-up Toby and he's like... It's so good to see you, my dear boy. You've grown up. And and I'm just like, we've grown up too. You're saying that to us. It's so good. It, it's so good. And the way they use Doc Ock is so great because like he is, you know, the way they're kind of able to, he's able to like take over his arms is just brilliant. I was didn't see that coming at all. Mm -hmm. And then keep going with that. 
and have him have like be be a have a some heroic moments. I think was great because like Doc Ock is this very iconic villain, one of the most the most iconic Spider-Man villains, one of the most iconic you know Marvel comics villains. But to take that character and just like make him into a diabolical villain wouldn't make sense. Otto Octavius was a good man and he had a good relationship with Peter Parker. And that's where he ends is doing something heroic, undoing what he did at the end of Spider-Man two. So it would be a disservice to the character. I think they were right to use all these other villains as kind of like, okay, maybe they are, maybe they aren't going to be bad. Use green goblin to full effect. Use green goblin as he is the bad guy. He is the worst bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he is so, so good. He's bad. So bad. He's good. Whatever. Um, and you know that's that's your main bad guy, and the fact that they had this whole thing, and I love. Can the Spider Man come out to play? I'm like, yes, he's here. <laughs> okay, Stephen just posted a comment that I want to give mention to, and I don't, I don't know if this is if this is one that's that's gonna jump out to you all that much because you weren't as into Doctor Who as as some of us were. But uh, he says, seeing these Spider-Man felt to me like seeing all of the Blue's Clues hosts. Yeah. Or a multi-doctor special from Doctor Who. I think back to the 50th anniversary special where you've got John Hurt as the war doctor. David Tennant and Matt Smith show back up. I think Colin Baker. Um one one of the older doctors. I don't think. I don't, maybe it wasn't Colin, but there there was an older doctor that made kind of a cameo in there as well. Um, you had Billy Piper coming back um, as the quote unquote bad wolf. That that special was just such a nostalgia trip. And then seeing who was it? Um, Steve show back up on Nickelodeon not too long ago. Um, it like I I totally get where Steven's coming from with that. I think. Um, I, I I don't know. Maybe I can't think of anything right now, but it would it would almost be like if we saw a reunion episode of the Magic School Bus. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I didn't even think about the fact that like Doctor Who kind of did the whole let's take different versions of the same character and just have them hang out together. Like that whole concept, something that's been around. I mean, that, that 50th anniversary special was from a while ago we're, we're approaching the 60th anniversary of doctor who now so uh you know that's a whole thing but, oh, yeah. uh, and and the, the showrunner from david Tennant's era is coming back as the showrunner so and they're talking about bringing back david Tennant maybe <laughs> again mm-hmm. so uh take that mm-hmm. as you will but uh you know the whole idea <laughs> of like let, let's you know let's do this multiverse and doctor who is not even multiverse it's just like oh yeah different times this makes sense mm-hmm. because doctor who is crazy um but uh, I, you know, I love the whole idea that you know, and we've been getting a lot of that lately. You know, we got like, Loki kind of kicked it off, um, this whole multiverse thing, and I think this used it to full effect and and all, able to kind of bring in all this stuff and just this ultimate love letter to Spider Man. I feel like this movie is just a big warm hug for Spider-Man fans. Um, being that bringing all these villains, all these heroes, bringing back the three Spider-Man, um, you know, they really, the only thing that's missing is would be like the, the animated stuff that we've been getting with Spider-Verse and whatever, but like everything is represented in here. Okay. Speaking of representation, I loved Jamie Foxx's line where he, he finally, 
he finally meets Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. He meets Peter three. And he's like, I really thought you'd be black. <laughs> There's gotta be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. And Andrew goes, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's like, sorry, I'm not black. <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. But that's a reference to Miles Morales. Yes. And it gives us the opportunity to, you know, potentially introduce Miles to the show because that's one thing that Homecoming did that never got followed up on. Childish Gambino made a reference about how he's got a nephew in these neighborhoods and everybody seems to believe that it's alluding to Miles Morales. And so I'm sitting here going, man, there could be a black Spider-Man out here in the not too distant future. So I wonder if I wonder if the next movie will start with like like maybe something happening with all the interdimensional stuff like we see Miles and maybe he gets maybe there's a a radioactive spider from another universe comes through a rift and bites him and that's where we start to get you know you know we find out that Miles has been in the background for a while um I think they're definitely setting that up I think they're def- that's definitely coming down the line um and yeah, we're gonna get more Tom Holland as the thing, and they're already talking about you know oh they're gonna bring back Toby, they're gonna bring back Andrew. like another like another trilogy. I think I, I heard something on social media. I'm gonna take all of that stuff that I see on social media with a huge grain of salt, but I think there was there was one site that was reporting given how successful the chemistry was between the three of them that Sony's actually looking into the prospect of having all three of them together in a feature length film from start to finish. That's one of the rumors that I've heard. And then there's another rumor that Toby might show up in Dr. Strange two. Yeah. Because of the, the multiverse of madness. Oh, op- cracking open. Um, and then just a whole bunch of other stuff that I've heard. I mean, I I've heard that, Andrew, because of his expression of being interested in reprising the role, they could end up green lighting an amazing Spider-Man three at some point. Like there's, there's so much like positive response to this movie that is going to like basically propel the careers of those three men. You know, like Tom Holland is doing just fine. He's got uncharted coming up. He's got, you know, a few more films coming up, but you know, Andrew Garfield has kind of been biding his time. Tick, tick, boom was kind of supposed to be like his his big break. And I don't even know what Toby's been up to recently, you know, not much. And so for for them to have the prospect of being part of a potentially billion dollar franchise, multi-billion dollar franchise like that is that is really, really cool. And I'm super happy for both of them. I feel like I mean we're going into a new era of the MCU and the the multiverse is going to be a thing from here on yeah, out. It um, is. I would be shocked if if we really didn't. I think there could be legs. I think maybe a lot a lot of these rumors that are floating around are probably a lot of wishful thinking, but you know, I think you have two actors and you know with these things like this you you have to wonder like how how interested are they like in actually coming back? Like, is Toby really want to come back and do Spider-Man? Does Andrew really, you know, and I've heard Andrew talk in interviews, talk about how, like he kind of closed the chapter of that, of his life. You know, he was kind of past it and kind of made peace with the whole amazing Spider-Man debacle. Yeah, but um, he was also texting Emma Stone and telling her that he didn't know what she was talking about. 
Right. And and like, the only people he told were his parents and his brother. That was it. Nobody nobody else in his circle knew what was going on. Not even his TASM co-star, which is wild. That's crazy. But you listen to interviews with both of those guys and they're very enthusiastic. And mm-hmm. I think Andrew especially, mm-hmm. I think there's like, you know, you could say Toby, hey, he got his three movies. He got his timeline, and this is kind of a little swan song for him in No Way Home. But mm-hmm. Andrew's story is not over. You know, it was very much, you know, a, a cliffhanger there, and they were going some places there. And as much as I see the flaws in Amazing Spider-Man 2, especially, um, I would love to see a Amazing Spider-Man 3 that has guidance from the people that made this movie. If they make it, he needs to fight an alien. He's the only one that hasn't fought an alien yet. All he's fought is an angry Russian dude in a dinosaur, in a in a rhinoceros machine. And he was, like, making fun of himself for that. And I was like, dude, don't beat yourself up. And, like, I... even, even Toby was like, don't beat yourself up. You are amazing. You are an amazing Spider-Man. And I'm like, died ah. in the theater when Toby's like, oh, you are amazing. Say it. You are amazing. I'm like, come on. On, man this is so good <laughs> but see i feel like some people would actually see that as a complaint they'd be like okay we get it he's the amazing spider-man mm. but oh my gosh dude the nah. the the way that they were building each other up and and even like having each other's backs metaphorically and physically i think one of my favorite scenes in the whole film was when andrew cracked toby's back at the statue of liberty like you see him like rising up and it's like crackling under under the pressure and you're just like the whole the whole like commitment to that bit the fact that like you know you have I think it's Spider Man two these like or maybe in the original like he's like my back my back he falls off a building and uh, like, he legitimately had back problems Tobey Maguire was going to quit as Spider Man and Spider Man two and they were gonna get Jake Gyllenhaal to play Spider Man because Tobey Maguire <laughs> had back problems and he couldn't come back they made it work obviously but like the the whole like backstory if you know that and I did. It's like it just makes that joke so much better. Um, Real quick, real quick. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about the literally the only flaw that I could think of in this movie. Thinking about this movie all day. I can think of the only flaw, only minor flaw in this movie. There's there's one other thing that I have questions about. Oh, I, I definitely have a complaint, but it's a writing complaint. It's not an elemental complaint. So so when. The thing happens with Andrew. Andrew catches MJ. Um, when he lands, it's a little wacky. It's a little wacky. He looks a little rubbery and CGI. He just like lands a little too quickly. And it always, I for every time I watch that scene, I, I watch the. There's clips out there, ladies and gentlemen. I watch those clips, um, and it's a little, eh, eh. You know, I, I it, it's it kind of takes me out a little bit, but you know, you run right back into it with the performance that he gives right afterwards. So that's nitpicky. That's nitpicky. It's nothing. Um, my only other like, I would say concern about going forward with this trilogy is because uh, we're inevitably going to get another trilogy after this, and we're going to get more stuff. But you know, the entire world has forgotten Peter Parker, but he still remembers all this stuff. And I'm curious, you know, the only downside to this movie that I can see is that we're not going to get, like, a proper, like, Norman Osborn showing up becoming Green Goblin and he fights things. 
that story kind of already played out. We're not going to get the Oscorp. I don't feel like we're going to get a Harry Osborne Oscorp thing in mm. these next movies. It feels kind of like you would be retreading old ground. It would be weird because of Peter. What Peter knows. Peter knows that Norman Osborne at least has the potential. If there's a Norman Osborne in his universe to become the right. Reed Goblin, and what right. if you know if he comes across Flint or Doctor Connors or an Otto Octavius, you know, assuming that there are those different versions of those characters in the MCU. What's his thought process going to be? You know, is he going to immediately go, oh, Otto, okay, you're going to turn into Dr. Octopus. Well, okay, that's interesting. So, you know, throwing all these villains into here. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but I just had a really funny thought. The, the, um, so for people who don't know this, this is not something I talk about very often, but, um, communication and journalism were not my original, um, intended majors. What if Dr. Otto Octavius does become Dr. Octopus, but he's a marine biologist? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't turn into some mad scientist. He's just a guy that studies octopus. That's amazing. You know what? I like the idea that's been floated that they could use Liv. They could use uh, mm. from Spider-Verse. We could get like oh, a, a general version of Dr. Hey. Octavius. Let's get let's get Catherine Hahn to play it, and then she has That's to. That's what you know. I'm saying. Look, I've been saying this since WandaVision. If they don't get Catherine Hahn to play Liv, female Doctor Octavius, uh, what are they doing? And just do it in Multiverse of Madness. If not, do it in the regular MCU. Do mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Steven says a marine biologist played by Jason Alexander. <laughs> okay, a- okay, okay. Legitimately. If they said tomorrow Jason Alexander is playing Otto Octavius in the MCU, I would not be mad. I don't think I would complain either. I really don't. I would actually even maybe onto something here. I would actually be really okay with that. But that's a great Seinfeld reference, and I'm glad that I actually recognized that one. (laughs) Um, You cut. You cut. Joel in the chat. He's reiterating because we we overlooked it and the chat got busy but apparently aunt may actually says the most comic comic accurate version of the great power line the other ones were had some creative liberties but uh apparently the the way that she delivered it the way it was written and the way she delivered it is most in line with the way it gets spoken in the comic books so interesting at least she got a very comics accurate farewell, which is pretty cool. That's really been the MCU's kind of saving grace is that they, they do things logically and very realistically, but they're also very, very comic accurate. I love the whole idea of like, well, that's weird. Well, that's, that's the way it was in the comics. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> even, mm-hmm. even in the Sony stuff, they're well, like, Oh, Venom cult just threatened to pull this guy's arms off. And so he can, float down the street like a turd in the wind well that's something from the comics apparently well but also look at the way that they're able to find a way to incorporate it into real life like in wandavision you get to see their comic accurate costumes because they're supposed to wear costumes on halloween like it's it's just it's really really creative or in loki you know you've got the the what is it classic loki in the right. in in the multiverse, and Richard E. Grant, and and Richard E. Grant is wearing tights because that's the Loki from that timeline, from that universe, and it's just it's super creative the way they're able to put all of that together. And I really, really applaud 
the attention to that detail. Now, this is going to tie into what you were talking about with your concerns about the the storytelling and who Spider-Man's going to end up facing off against, but it also kind of circles back to a scene from uh, one of the first thirds of the movie. I am of the mindset that um, one of Spider-Man's next opponents could very well be Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin. I I I think there's I they have to be saying that up at this point. He he literally web slung over the Rockefeller Center ice <laughs> the skating. Same rink. Tree. The same tree. The same tree they knocked the down in Hawkeye. And the same rink that Hawkeye had a fight in. Now, it's very possible that you know you won't see him until you know way further down the line, but if he's going to stay in New York and he's going to stay the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and he's basically got a clean slate as far as interacting with people goes, then I I feel like it's a possibility that we're going to to see him again. And I think it's a possibility we'll see him teaming up with Matt Murdock. That really is kind of, I don't say I'm expecting it, but I'm I'm hoping for it. I know I'm kind of going out on a limb here, but I feel no, like I don't think you are. I think you're right on the money here. A lot of people we haven't talked about Hawkeye yet. We will get to that eventually, but um, a lot of people were taken aback by Hawkeye by by Kingpin's appearance in that show and the fact that he was just this tank that would just you know take he gets hit by a car all this kind of stuff and he keeps going and. But that's he, comic accuracy. That's comic accuracy. And you're when you're having a character like it was very realistic in the the, the Netflix shows to have him like he's just a guy, and yeah, he can stand toe to toe with Daredevil, but he's not indestructible. Um, the way they're setting him up in the MCU is going to make sense when he can stand up to someone like Spider Man and take punches and give punches and get knocked down and get back up, like. That's what they're setting him up for. He's going to be a big bad, I think, in the near future, you know, and whether he has eyes or not is a different story. But, you know, um, you know, I think that's definitely where we're headed with that. And I think teaming teaming him up. Look, we've got to get the red gang here. Okay, the red gang, Daredevil, Spider-Man, Deadpool. Those three (laughs) have got to be hanging out in the next movie. I swear they have to do it. I I would definitely not complain, but I also feel like it would go back to one of those Tumblr posts where you have to like reserve your one f bomb for Deadpool because <laughs> you know they're not gonna make it. Uh, they're not gonna make Spider Man an R rated film. So if they incorporate Deadpool into it, he's gonna be saying the s word a lot and then like holding off and being like Fudruckers. You know, like he's he's gonna be really intense. No, they've been teasing an f bomb since mm. Homecoming. Okay, yeah. Who better to pay it off than Deadpool? Right, right. But consider when Winter Soldier hit Captain America, Cap went flying. When Bucky tried to hit Spider Man in Civil War, he grabbed and absorbed that punch. Now, consider the kingpin actually laying a blow that puts Spider-Man on the ground. Yeah. I see see that happening. And all of a sudden, you have 
like a, a better understanding of exactly what everybody's up against. If you do that chain of events where you, you have seen Bucky put Captain America on the ground. You have seen Spider-Man stop Bucky's punches. And then you have seen the Kingpin punch Spider-Man. When you consider those three things back to back to back over the course of all the movies that they've done, you're going to be like, whoa, what are we up against here? And I, I think you're going to need a really good lawyer to help you with that. I can just, I just say, can I just say, now that we're on this, this, the, the, the topic of a really good lawyer, can I just say how much I adore how they use Matt Murdock in this movie, how he appears. Probably, my, probably my, my my favorite moment in the movie is when he appears, and and it was. I think it actually even got even out of my very chill crowd at the theater. There was some cheers when he showed up, and that was that was probably one of the loudest cheers in the whole movie for me on opening night. Like I think we only had two empty seats in the whole theater. Wow! And and as soon as you hear the thud of his walking stick. The whole place started going nuts, and I was like, "I love this crowd." I I loved it because it was exactly what I wanted. I didn't need him to show up in his red suit and fight along Spider Man. I didn't even need him to show up at the Statue of Liberty and help you know fight you know what was going on there. Um, mm-hmm. just his presence of like, and just the logic of like what we've been talking about for years, which is. Spider-Man needs a lawyer and Matt Murdock's right there. Why not just give him that? And the fact that they were willing, okay, let's do it. They listened. They freaking listened. And apparently um, Charlie Cox has been like on the record, has known about this for years. Like they contacted him way back and said, we're bringing you back. Um, Get (laughs) ready. So much so that Jessica Henwick was in the running. She was going to play Shang-Chi's sister in Shang-Chi. And she turned down the role because she knew Charlie was coming back as Daredevil, and she's holding out to come back as Colleen Wing. Wow, that's so dedica- there's possibilities there. That that's a lot of dedication, and I admire both of them for holding out for something bigger and something better. She's, because they both deserve it. Well, yeah. The, number one, they they deserve the heck out of it for sure. And number two, I think it's really really smart to not take on any roles, especially within the universe, but just roles in general, to not take on too many roles that could end up conflicting with or or contradicting people's perceptions of who you are as a performer. Because Charlie has been doing mostly stage work. I, I say I say first name Charlie as if I know the man, like on a personal. Oh, my old buddy Charlie. Hey, my buddy Chuck over there said he was only going to do this. But Charlie Cox has only been doing stage work since Daredevil concluded. He has not been taking on a whole lot of feature-length films or even television shows because he didn't want people to see him as anything other than Matt Murdock. Wow. And so he has literally been holding out for this. And I don't know how much they paid him, but I can guarantee you that they would not put him in a Spider-Man cameo if they did not have the intention of giving him a more fleshed out role within the MCU. So I am super excited to have him back. And I would say that was probably 
the second loudest cheer that happened in the whole film. The first loudest was when Ned opened the portal and Andrew's um, Spider-Man jumped through and pulled his hood off. The guy in the row in front of me, I kid you not, he literally stood up in his seat (laughs) and looked like he was at a basketball game. Like I've been to a ton of basketball games where somebody makes a really great play. The referee blows the whistle. They get the points and the foul. And somebody kind of like that Drake um, gif where he's like, let's go. I swear to you, that is what this guy did in the row in front of me. He literally, like, got up from his chair as soon as Andrew pulled the mask off. And he was like, let's go! Just got super stoked about seeing Andrew Garfield again. And We Daredevil fans were fed that week. The same week, or within, like, a week of each other, um, we got... Kingpin back, Vincent D'Onofrio. We got Charlie Cox back as Matt Murdock. Man, so good. Yeah, man. I I I'm so happy, and I'm I'm actually looking at finding the time to reintroducing myself, and then introducing my fiance to Daredevil because she she's really enjoyed a lot of the TV, the action TV we've been watching. We've kind of got a compromise going. Um. When when I go to have dinner at her place, we're watching the shows that she wants to watch, which is like the Mindy Project, How I Met Your Father, uh, Big Bang Theory, you know, some of those tropey sitcoms that are cute and funny, but they're kind of like rom-coms and, and situation comedies. When she's having dinner over at my place, we're watching like The Mandalorian. And uh, uh, we watch WandaVision and Loki. I don't think we watch Falcon and Winter Soldier yet. Um, but oh, I, yeah. I want to, I, I want, I want to watch Book of Boba Fett with her, because that's that's going to be our discussion in two weeks. Yes, indeed. Book of, Book of Boba Fett is going to um, finish up like a few days before uh, our next episode, so we'll have plenty to talk about recapping season one of the Book of Boba Fett in a couple of weeks. But I think one of the other things I need to introduce her to is uh, is probably Daredevil. And uh, it's been it's been trending on Netflix. It's like number four on Netflix right now. Um, I wonder why. That's crazy. Steven Schinder says when Andrew showed up in my theater, the crowd cheered and a woman shouted, That's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that, that sounds that sounds accurate. That sounds right. And you know, that brings up an interesting point of conversation the interactivity of the crowd. I have not been with a crowd that interacted with the screen that much since Rogue One. Wow. Do you, do you remember? I'm sure you do, but I'm, I'm trying to like let the listeners know that we watched this movie together. But when, when, when we went to see Rogue One at the Chinese theater in Hollywood, there were moments where certain music would play that was from like a new hope. There were moments where certain characters from a new hope made little cameos and stuff. And, and people cheered and applauded at those characters and at those moments. And then when, when they did the, the CGI overlay of Leia at the very end of the movie, 
you see the princess right before Iris out. And the whole place almost stood on their feet when she turned around. But then they all shushed at exactly the right time so that we could hear her say that one word, hope. I love it. I love, I love the theater experiences are great. This also happens at celebration conventions Mm. where, you know, you'll like be watching a trailer or whatever. And it's just like, yes. And then immediately, like two seconds later, they're like, shh. And everyone just like goes down quiet. Like, cause everyone is like, really really excited but also like they're super invested in like hearing what they're gonna say mm-hmm. so uh this is juxtaposition um also uh i had the pleasure of being shushed by john williams one time um oh. when we were at celebration just i don't mean to brag i don't mean to brag but that guy can shush like a thousand people with one finger he, he showed up at celebration and then everyone's going wild and he goes mm, and that room went silent instantly he was like, ah, no, okay, I'm playing now. And wow. everyone, wow. a thousand people in that room, no one yes. said a word. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> See, if it, if it wasn't for the current global situation, I would be like all over going to the next celebration. Like, I understand. I, I, I regret not experiencing it before all of that happened. You know? Yeah. Like, that's that and i had an opportunity for like a study abroad program in new zealand about five or six years ago wow i i had an opportunity for something like that and i passed on it because it was it was something that was through my church and not through my school and so i would have actually had to put pause on school to be able to go do that and my education just meant too much to me at the time and i was like no i don't think i can maybe i'll do it when i graduate well here i am graduated and nobody can get in or out of new zealand or australia right now so it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a while before i can even attempt something like that again but yeah, uh, uh, a, a, a celebration is definitely also on my bucket list i was one week away from being able to attend like a san diego comic con so a uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con is also on my list, my yep, bucket list of, of events that I want to be a part of. But uh, got to be safe about it while we're doing that. So yeah, I, and I've got tickets to that dang celebration coming up, and I have mixed feelings. Yeah, a couple of <laughs> people in the chat. Sorry, don't mean to cut you off, no, but a couple a couple of people in the chat. Toronto Freddie and I think Stephen also posted this at one point. Um, that the last interactive crowd they were with was Endgame. I didn't have an interactive crowd for Endgame. The, the, the Me neither. People, My crowd was very... There was not many people in that I saw it with. Like, I've seen videos of, of people that were in the theater and the whole place erupted when, like, when the, when the hammer ended up in Captain America's hand and he, like, turns and you're like, oh, my God! I don't know if people were too stunned by it or if i was just with a lame crowd but my crowd was not interactive like that they simply weren't and my crowd for spider-man no way home was very very just eh, they weren't doing much see i bought tickets for like 12 people to go see no way home on opening night like my my fiance's friend group and like some of my relatives uh i think i got one like a ticket for my sister or something like that like i bought for like 11 other people and we had 11 
butts in the seats. <laughs> like, wow. like we we all were there. Or if somebody canceled, I found somebody that could be a replacement, a, a stand-in. But we uh, we had twelve butts in seats on on that film on opening night, and uh, it was a pretty it was a pretty busy Friday the next day. But I didn't even care because I was just so immensely happy and and satisfied the the sheer euphoria of what i had just watched kind of carried me through because i saw it that like that that soft opening they do on thursdays oh yeah that opening night and i just i didn't even care how busy the next friday was because (laughs) i i just enjoyed myself far too much Oh yeah, that's great. I mean, it it helps. It's always great to uh, have uh, you know a good crowd. That that enhances the experience. I'll never forget uh, watching Homecoming, first one, and uh, the, when Michael Keaton answered the door at Liz's house. <laughs> God, yeah. the, guy, the guy next to me, like I I don't know this guy. I'm just sitting next to a random person. The guy goes. Did you see that coming? I'm like, no. I'm like, we just had a bonding experience. I don't know who you are, but that was amazing. I'm glad I experienced that with you. I've had an experience like that before. Not with, not necessarily with a plot twist, but like a bonding experience with a random stranger. Um, but mine was with the Emperor's New Groove. Oh my gosh. The opening dance number where you're introducing Kuzco and his blue and red guards are doing like that weird Lord of the dance type of routine. (laughs) Like we're maybe five to eight minutes into this 70, 80 minute long movie. And the person in the seat next to me leans over and goes, that's my favorite part of the movie. (laughs) And I was like, we haven't even seen the rest of it. How do you know this is going to be your favorite part? And he goes, I don't know, but this is my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> He's already decided. He's like, just already made his mind up. And every now and then when I watch that movie, I think about that person and be like, I wonder if that's still their favorite scene in this movie. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that is it's so hilarious. It's, 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 it's the funny things that happen in the movie theater, man. It's, it's crazy. Um, let's talk about Dr. Strange for a moment. Yeah. He's he's a character that we really haven't talked about much in in this discussion yet, but he plays a pretty critical role because um, obviously Peter comes to him and they they just got a weird dynamic because he's like we saved the universe together. You don't have to call me sir. And then he gets pissed off at Peter and he's like, no, call me sir. And I'm just like, make up your damn mind, son. But like the the idea that the sorcerer supreme he's not technically a sorcerer supreme anymore because he got blipped for five years but the the idea that the sorcerer supreme could cast a spell on the entire world in a hoodie that 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 just amused me to no end and i don't know why maybe it's because i wear hoodies a lot during the cool weather and i'm just like cool that means if i learn the spells i don't have to wear like all this formal fancy garb to cast a spell i can just do it in my hoodie that'd be I cool think, i think ned's the next in line to be a sorcerer supreme person um guys magic the illusions that they made to that being able to 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 open the portals and and when they're having the fight scene on the statue of liberty and he's like did you just open a portal and he's like yes sir i did all he all that strange says is 
hmm. Like, he just, he just like takes a mental note, goes, hmm, and and then just carries on. I I do like how they use Strange here. I like that he, you know, he is respectful, at least at first, of Peter. He's like, nah, we're, you know, we're cool. We're buddies. We're not, we're not mentor, mentee, you know. You know, we saved half the universe together. You don't have to call me sir. Um, he very quickly gets pissed off at Peter, maybe for maybe for, for legitimate reasons. But, you know, it's it's more of the I, I like the idea of and one of the criticisms that has been thrown this in this particular Spider-Man and this trilogy so far has been like, oh, he's always got a mentor or whatever. I think that's the point. I think I don't really think that's a, a good criticism anyway. But, you know, the whole idea of like, well, let let Spider-Man be on his own. But like if you pay attention to the subtext, it's like, yes, Homecoming, he had Tony Stark, obvious mentor figure, someone he was trying to live up to mm-hmm. in uh, Far From Home. Yes, he had a little bit from Mysterio. Then he realizes, hey, Mysterio is not a good dude. And he right. learns he takes initiative on his own. His journey in that movie is taking taking everything you know in stride and taking responsibility and doing things his own way. And to the detriment of, you know, Nick Fury or whoever. And in this movie, it's even further. It's more about him fighting Dr. Strange saying, no, I'm not, I'm not cool with what you're doing here and Mm. winning (laughs) geometry wins against magic. um, Okay. Because uh... I, 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 I can't call this a complaint about the movie because I don't have very many complaints, but I have friends of mine on Facebook who are teachers they are already using that line to promote math class <laughs> that's not fair a superhero says that math is important so you should study your geometry kiddies and i'm just like uh you're right but you're also not right get off my case I'm a communications major, not a math major. For, for the record, I am not Spider-Man, and I have never used geometry. Exactly. Exactly. If the only time that I'm ever going to need any geometry lessons is so I can fight Doctor Strange in the mirror dimension, then I'm fine. I'm never going to need geometry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I mean, and, and just I, but I just love the whole context of, like, Peter Parker is a very smart person. He is going to a gifted school, school for yeah. the gifted, basically not not the not the superpower gifted like uh, Xavier's school, but a a very smart gifted mentally school gifted. Yeah. mentally. So naturally, he's a very smart person. I, I love you know even in far moments like don't apologize for being the smartest person in the room. He is literally one of the smartest people in this universe, mm-hmm. and he gets to prove it against one of the most powerful beings in the universe, Dr. Strange. It's just great stuff. It's great stuff. And, and the whole has... mirror universe stuff, I know we're kind of used to at this point. It's not as, as impressive as it used to be, but like still very cool sequence. He doesn't have very great social skills though, because he literally stalks the Dean of Admissions on a bridge during a traffic jam and calls her school dumb because they didn't let any of the three of them into MIT. Yeah. She's like, Are you saying MIT is dumb? And he's like, no, 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 no. And she's like, you didn't rehearse this, did you? And he's like, no, I didn't. And then, like, basically gets saved by the bell with a villain popping out of the roadway so that that awkward conversation could finish. If this was an episode of The Office, that conversation would have gone on for another five minutes at least. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I love that whole sequence. It really is great. 
so I want to I want to touch on one of uh, Toronto Freddy's comments here that he's got here in the chat. He says what really bothers me about Far From Home is Peter and MJ's uh, forced relationship. It didn't feel earned. So that's the that's the European trip. That's the that's the middle episode. I'm curious if he feels like they earned it a little bit more in this movie and if maybe it has an interesting payoff because now he's basically got to start from scratch because of Doctor Strange's spell. Circling back to Doctor Strange finally. We kind of got off on a little bit of a rabbit trail there. But Doctor Strange's spell is eventually successful. And you know, nobody remembers who he is or what he accomplished. And he's just gone back to being like an anonymous figure. But that also means being anonymous to MJ and Ned, which when you think about it is pretty sad. It is. But it's also really interesting because now there's like this potential for that dynamic to be rekindled in any future movies. I yeah, it's it's it leaves it leaves everything in, in a bit of a you know in a bit of a rough spot and it's a really tragic thing. It's not it's not just the tragedy of losing Aunt May and, and his whole thing. It's just everyone forgets about you. How this movie is a bummer. It's not an uplifting movie per se. Like it's fun while it lasts, but that ending really, really get you and you know the whole idea and just the loneliness of that the loneliness of like imagine you don't exist anymore no one remembers you he goes up to happy and happy doesn't remember him it just it's just this whole thing um and it's it's just so sad um and but you know i knew i knew they would find a way to like reset the status quo um I knew that far from home, you know, the way that ended, it was, I was afraid that they would like find like five minutes in the first part of the movie um, to fix it. Um, I'm glad that it took a whole movie to fix it and then still have some very serious consequences. And, and who knows if, if Mysterio ever shows back up, man, Peter's got a bone to pick with him because yeah. I mean, he started all of this. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Um, there's, there's a theory going around the internet. I want to get your thoughts on this before I, I forget about it. Um, somebody suggested why not just cast a spell that makes everybody forget Mysterio instead of forgetting Spider-Man, because if Mysterio was the catalyst for all of this, then if they forget Mysterio, they forget his video, they forget his revelations and everybody forgets who Peter Parker was. So what about a spell that just forgets Mysterio? I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm sure there's an answer <laughs> and the answer is probably that's a less interesting story. And we need that. We, they needed to, to go a certain direction. Five different villains in it. Like, yeah, I think maybe, I maybe, maybe if they forget Mysterio existed, then then it's still like what happened in London still happened. So like Peter would still be blamed for like, oh yeah, he he had all the drones. Mysterio wasn't even there at all. It was all Peter, and there's no uh, proof. Uh, 
that Mysterio was there or that he had anything to do with it. Mysterio doesn't even exist. So if Mysterio doesn't exist, then there's no one to point the finger at except Spider-Man. Yeah, It's like Peter going like, oh yeah, Mysterio framed me. Who's Mysterio? His identity wouldn't necessarily be revealed, but he'd still be seen as a villain character. It would actually be beneficial to Mysterio because he could start all over with his scheme and bring all the drones back and create an illusion again. Right. Right. Steven says maybe people forget Mysterio, but not the Spider-Man revelation. They just wouldn't remember how they found out. (laughs) Boy, that would be, that would be a tough loophole to try and jump through for sure. Um, Circling back to, to Dr. Strange for a second, because there, there, he plays a pretty important role in this movie. And this will be our last topic of conversation before we go into final thoughts and planet scores and all that kind of stuff. Um, Obviously, Dr. Strange plays a pretty important role in this movie, and he was actually supposed to be um, his movie was supposed to come out before this one. But because of delays and because of COVID and all that sort of stuff, they actually had to rework this movie's script and the next movie's script in order to invert them because Spider-Man was apparently still on task, even if Dr. Strange wasn't. And they had to make modifications so that Spider-Man could release before Dr. Strange does. They had to basically delay one of them, but not the other one and kind of inverted it. So I guess, what did you make of Dr. Strange's role in this movie? What did you make of the end credit scene and what do you think we could expect from Multiverse of Madness? Yeah, see, I, I, I like Doctor Strange in this a lot. I think, you know, it was great using. I think Marvel has learned that you have a cinematic universe. It pays to cross over and have cameos and have not just cameos, but like have principal roles for these characters. And, you know, uh, Doctor Strange, I think as, as a character has grown to me a lot. Um, I've enjoyed his his cameos and his appearances in other movies than I did probably his more than his actual movie. Um, but he was great in this one. Like I said, he wasn't necessarily a mentor, so I think that was a really nice change of pace and adding in the magic element and all this kind of stuff and bringing all that in and having it be the crux of the plot for this movie, I think, was brilliant. Um, the Doctor Strange in Multiverse of Madness teaser that we got at the end, pretty sick, pretty cool. Um, very much looking forward to that. Um, and of course, there's all kinds of rumors about who's going to be in it, all the cameos and whatever. Again, you know, as much stuff they're trying to pack into this movie, seemingly, again, it could be like, is this going to be a train wreck? But you know, I was wrong about Spider Man, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain. I'm not gonna worry. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think just having, again, putting more characters together, having you know, Wanda and Strange and back mordo and you know wong it's a stacked cast already and you know i think opening up the multiverse even further um than we've already seen which we've seen quite a lot already so you know it's gonna be interesting to see what it does you you've seen the like rumored cameo list that's floating around the (laughs) oh yes i have tom cruise (laughs) tom cruise as a Tony Stark variant. I don't know if I believe that. That is so, like, meta. That is so, like, because he was, I think he was originally, like, supposed to be Iron Man. He was he was one of the original cast casting choices. Like, that's so, like, Marvel referencing itself. That's, like, 
I don't know, but I'm here for it, man. I want it. But think about this. Nicolas Cage as Ghost Rider? The precedent's there. It's uh, Everything's canon now, so Ghost Rider, man. Edward Norton as a Bruce Banner variant? I I don't know. I Tom don't know. Jane, who was the OG 2004 Punisher? Maguire, like Spider-Man, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> They're thinking that Blade could show up in this movie. I really don't know what to make of of those of those rumors, but if we even get like two of those, I think it would be awesome. But considering the word madness is right in the title, I'm kind of open to the idea of there being true madness in this movie. Where you take the stuff that made No Way Home so successful and so popular, and you just multiply it by a factor of 10. You start incorporating the X-Men, and this is how they make it into the MCU. Like, I here's, here's what I would love to see. And I know it's not going to happen, but what if, what if Chris Evans came back as a member of the Fantastic Four? That's what I want, man. I want Johnny Storm. Chris, Chris Evans is Johnny Storm. That's what I want more than anything. I will give up all the other cameos to have Chris Evans as Johnny Storm. That's I'm telling you, oh man, it's just it's such a crazy thing to think about. But I would also just not complain one tiny bit if that's how it played out. So, like. I'm I'm intrigued, I'm hopeful, but I'm also a little just a little bit disappointed because the the teaser that we got in the post credit scene was probably one of the longest ones we've ever gotten yeah. at the end of a post credit scene because it's essentially like you said a teaser for Multiverse of Madness. My concern with it is that he he goes out to meet Wanda and she's like I heard a lot of people and he's like I'm not here to talk about Westfield and that's literally the only reference we get to WandaVision. Mm-hmm. I am worried that a single line is going to sweep eight episodes of greatness under the rug. If they truly want this to be a part of the MCU, they need to incorporate it a bit more. And I know it's just a teaser. I know there's the potential for more stuff to get referenced. But I feel like that is a generic sweep it under the rug type of line so we can move forward with our plot and this story. And I I really don't feel like that's good for Wanda's character if that's how things play out. Yeah. Okay. To counter this, I don't know if this is true. Something mm-hmm. I've heard. Mm-hmm. The thing that I heard about WandaVision is that that end credit scene from WandaVision where she's doing the meditation thing and she's maybe communing with her kids and stuff like that, that is from Multiverse of Madness. That is a scene from Multiverse of Madness that they put in. So if that's true, and even if it isn't, I feel like, why else would you put that scene in there? That is setting up Multiverse of Madness. That is setting up her still trying to find her kids, her studying the Darkhold, all this stuff. Um, if they don't have that in Multiverse of Madness, I will be very disappointed. I think that that's part of her character. That's that's unfinished business for Wanda that needs to be addressed. Um, and also White Vision is still out there when that will come back. But there's a lot of, WandaVision left a lot of loose ends. Yeah, it did. And I really, really hope that it gets addressed. And I'm, like I said, trying to take it with a grain of salt, but I was also really, really disappointed that that was included in the trailer line because, like, it it feels like a, a, a derailing of all the momentum that WandaVision brought up. And 
even even with Loki being the visual spectacle and and the character development that it ended up becoming, I would still assert that WandaVision was my favorite of the MCU TV that we got this year. It's really good. It's really I like, good. Like it, I I I don't think anything ended up surpassing it. I enjoyed Hawkeye and I enjoyed seeing the Kingpin, but as far as like the story that it told and how comprehensive it was and how enjoyable it was to actually have a show to look forward to watching every week again. Like there, there were just a lot of things about WandaVision that, that I felt went right, that they, that they need to continue in multiverse of madness. So not trying, not trying to derail the Spider-Man talk too terribly much, but I feel like, I feel like it was actually a good move for Dr. Strange to have, this type of supporting role before sliding into um, a a feature length film, mostly because to me, the first Dr. Strange film was like a bottom five MCU film down there with like the Eternals. Like there's a reason we're not doing an Eternals (laughs) review. It's not, it would not go well. Um, Doctor Strange 1 was probably like like I said a bottom 5 MCU film so he needs to keep rebuilding that popularity and that momentum and he did that with Thor, he did that with Avengers, now he gets to do it with Spider-Man. It's almost like he's rebuilding his reputation so that people can actually get excited for a Doctor Strange film again. And he's done that for me. I am now officially ready for uh, a Doctor Strange sequel. And uh, I honestly did not think I would ever say that based on how I felt about the first Doctor Strange film. So yeah. he he's finally, well, I don't know if he, if he personally has made amends, but the writing and the character development has finally made enough amends that I feel ready for a Doctor Strange sequel finally. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm more excited about it than I, than I ever really thought I would be. So uh, come a long way. Yeah. Well, we'll all get to see that in the not too distant future. Um, but for now, um, I think I think we're just kind of running short on time, to be honest. And so I want to give a, a, just a couple of quick shout outs before we do uh, our our um, final thoughts. The first shout out is going to be to our friends Joey Mays and Jesse Bennett for their support of the show. They are really great supporters of what we do here. And uh, they're at the shout out friend tier on our Patreon page. And you can check us out at patreon.com slash IPC podcast. The link is in that lower third, kind of underneath us down that a ways. Um, be sure to go and, and check that out to get some behind the scenes info, a, a private group that we've got called the Peacekeeper Core, where you can get exclusive access to our show notes before we go live and have an idea of what topics we're going to have before uh, we end up talking about them or promoting them on all on any of our socials there's just a lot of exclusives that people like jesse and joey get to be a part of and we appreciate all that they are uh, a part of um then the other shout outs i want to give are to michael giacchino who did a absolutely stellar film score oh yeah and john watts who is to my knowledge the only mcu director to direct an entire trilogy I think you're right. I didn't think about because that. the Russo brothers didn't do the first Captain America movie. No. They only did two and three. Peyton Reed is going to get a trilogy when Quantumania releases from the Ant-Man trilogy. 
Peyton Reed will have done all three Ant-Man movies, but I'm pretty sure to date, John Watts is the only MCU director to have gotten an entire trilogy from start to finish. And maybe, maybe that consistency is part of the reason they've got such a fantastic trilogy on their hands. Marvel just knocked it out of the park with this whole trilogy and brought it all home uh, with No Way Home, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I John Watts, I cannot wait for the Fantastic Four movie directed by him. I can. <laughs> I'm, just gonna put, I'm just gonna put that out there. I can definitely wait, but I am I am hopeful um considering his uh, his his success um with this trilogy. So definitely. I guess we're uh, we're finally into our uh, our final closing thoughts and our rating out of 10. And if you're still watching live, give us your rating of No Way Home out of 10 as well. Um, I gave my rating of uh, The Book of Boba Fett Chapter 5 on the Star Wars Underworld podcast last night. Got quite a few laughs out of that one. <laughs> I don't know what was up with that. I was just having a good time. And uh, the, the next thing I know, I'm just saying meep in the chat, trying to get everybody else to say meep in the chat. And then... I don't know. One thing led to another, and I, I fell asleep not long after that. <laughs> so, oh, boy. Um, ben, final thoughts and rating of No Way Home out of a possible 10. All right. So, like I've been talking about all night, I really like this movie. In fact, I loved it, and it's doing so many things, and it does pretty much all of them correctly and fantastically. Um, it's a great Peter Parker story for Tom Holland. It's a great follow-up slash return slash swan song for Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. It's a great story and a great, you know, continuation for all the villains, Doc Ock, uh, Green Goblin, all these incredible performances all around. Um, and a, just a fantastic just celebration of Spider-Man. Um, one of the most popular and beloved characters in fiction, really, I think truly at this point. And to get this kind of a response, to get this kind of movie, I think is unprecedented. And it really just, it works so well. And as I said, it could have been a train wreck. I kind of thought it might be there for a second, but it really wasn't. And it helps that, not only to love it this much as much as I do, but also see all the positivity, see all the fact that it's the sixth highest grossing film of all time. That's just insane in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it all deserves every bit of it. And there's even talk of Oscar buzz, apparently. I don't think don't think that's going to happen, but uh, well, I would be all for it. Maybe not for Best Picture, but I could see it for maybe like cinematography. I could see awesome. it for supporting actor possibly at least I a him to fuck, man. I at, think least a, at least a nomination definitely deserves a nod for sure yeah i i would love to see a nomination or two i think it's definitely could be in the running so who knows who knows but i really enjoyed it i cannot wait to watch it again like i said all right i have it pre-ordered um so i'm gonna be watching it day of as soon as it comes in and uh it's gonna be great i cannot wait but uh, right now, I feel like, as I said earlier, I thought about this long and hard. I can only think of one thing that I didn't like about this movie. 
which is the Andrew Garfield thing. thing. It's like really nitpicky. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, do I take, am I doing like, I think a 9.9 out of 10. I think I'm going to take like a, like one fraction. Little, one fraction of a point off for this. I <laughs> think, I think I have to be honest with myself and go like, yeah, 9.9 out of 10. Hmm. I'm going full 10, baby. There you go. I'm going full 10. I'm not even going to I'm not even going to hide it. I'm I am going with a straight up full on 10 out of 10. Like this movie is up there with with The Dark Knight for me as far as like some of the best superhero action storytelling that I've ever seen. I I I do not have any like actual story-wise complaints. I do not have any like character complaints, no execution complaints. The one complaint I have is a writing complaint. And it wasn't even from a primary character, a secondary character, or even a tertiary character. It was when the little high school reporter girl is covering Peter's first day of classes. And she says... Go get him, Tiger. Or should I say Spider? <laughs> and I was like, no! No, 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 no! But none of the main characters had had any had any control over that. None of the none of the directors or producers or anything like that. Um so I just I I don't I don't like that one little thing, but it's so easy to forget and so easy to overlook that everything else is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I loved all the different components and the way that it all blended and, and tied together. So I can overlook one piece of cringe that didn't even come from a primary or secondary character and still give it a, a, a 10 out of 10. So. The fact yeah. that we're having to get really nitpicky mm-hmm. and find, like, look for th- stuff to complain about, I think, it speaks volumes about this movie, to be honest. It really does. It really does. Wow. Uh, you saw some of the comments that got highlighted down yes. below there. I'm just doing another quick tally. I saw a 9 out of 10, a 8.5, a 9 out of 10, a 9.5 out of 10. Um like there's there's just a lot of positivity that that came in from all of this and uh I'm just I'm really glad to see that Toronto Freddy a meep out of meep <laughs> referencing my commentary on the SWU last night um I think I think it's just it's a it's a great testament to like you said this celebration of the Spider-Man franchise I didn't think anything was ever going to have like the epic levels that we saw in uh, into the Spider Verse, and then this one just ended up, you know, surpassing that. So it's I amazing would... that it's just a Spider Man movie. It's just one Spider Man movie. It's not an Avengers movie. It's not a big crossover, or whatever. But it is. It is. It's a huge deal, and I think it's it jet definitely like sets the precedent and sets this Spider Man up for some big things because I think. You know, I think yeah, Spider Man is going to be a big player in the future. I think, and uh, you know, if this, if there was any doubt that Sony and Marvel couldn't continue to make this work, um, I think 
no way home sealed the deal that uh, they're going to continue with this. And Tom Holland's going to be able to do as many Spider-Man movies as he wants. And maybe they'll even throw in Venom. <laughs> we need to talk about Venom, but he's here. He's in this unit. He was in the MCU for five minutes. He, and then he gets sent back. But the symbiote's there. That's all that matters. Yeah, the symbiote got left behind. So, you know, anything's possible. Phantom Empire, our friend, producer Sean, hopping down to help us close down for the evening, putting in a hot take. No Way Home is better than any Avengers movie. Ooh, spicy take. That's, spicy a, that's, take. that's a pretty hot take. because I'm I, not I, saying I, you're wrong, Sean. I really am not. <laughs> I myself really loved Infinity War. I felt like there were elements of Endgame that were kind of tropey in force, but Infinity War was a personal favorite of mine. But uh, overall... This 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 movie um, really is the best quadrilogy. It's an incomparable. Really, really did a, a lot quadrilogy. of good things. Did a lot of good things. Uh, Steven says Endgame is still my favorite overall. Well, we could probably talk about this movie for another two hours, but unfortunately, oh, yeah. none of us have the time for that. But I think we covered a lot in uh, in a very short amount of time, which is awesome. We're going to have a really great review again in a couple of weeks when Book of Boba Fett wraps up and we're going to do like a season one uh, recap and our expectations that season two is definitely going to happen, especially considering this uh, this most recent episode that debuted that, uh, spoiler alert, didn't even have Boba Fett in it, even though it was called the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, they've got two episodes to wrap all this stuff up. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. So season two, mm-hmm. do it. Mm hmm the that'll be that'll be our discussion next week on the ipc podcast but in the meantime make sure to follow us on all of our different places we actually have a linktree account now which basically lets you get access to all the other stuff that we're a part of so you know from 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 fandom empire it's still a work in progress but from our facebook twitter and instagram pages to the fandom empire link to our personal links to our patreon link um that's all going to be up there eventually so we'll start distributing that in the chat probably next episode if possible yeah we'll, um, we'll, we'll put it down we'll it'll be in the description when it's finished you'll see it in the description of the videos mm-hmm. but in the meantime just hit us up at patreon.com slash ipc podcast ipc podcast.podbean.com tpublic.com slash user slash ipc podcast if you're interested in getting some ipc merch and be sure to hit the like button if you haven't already done that and hit subscribe so that um you are given alerts every time Phantom Empire goes live, every time IPC goes live. There's a lot of great content that's happening on this channel. And if you're listening on your podcatchers, then give us a five-star rating over there, like on iTunes or Google Play. We'd love to have your feedback from there as well. Um, follow me on social at Zach the Voice. That's the username that I've been using, and you see Ben's username there. Um, ben, what kind of stuff are, uh, are you up to when you're not doing IPC? um lots of stuff um uh the book of mando has me uh very busy these days um, so uh, go 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 follow at the sw on uh, facebook twitter instagram all that um a lot of posting a lot of interesting stuff over there um i gotta i gotta work on some spoiler posts because i i did this spoiler moratorium on uh that episode is going up tomorrow so uh you're gonna get spoiled if you haven't seen the episode so don't follow us but if you haven't but uh yeah that's there's been a lot going on there and then of course a uh, culture slate all mm-hmm. kinds of crazy stuff that's a lot of stuff you don't you actually yeah we're just 
we're flooding stuff everywhere. Um, and you, you never know when you might see something. I, you know, you've seen stuff that I posted. You didn't know I posted it. Just saying that. I'm in the shadows. I'm everywhere. The man um, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. But uh, the- yeah, and then follow me at Ben Hart with me. I, I, nope. <laughs> ben Hart with me. That's right. You got to type it in with your knee now, folks. Ben Hart with your knee. All I'm going to say is if you look on Instagram, this is a big oversight when I just my created my new username a few years ago. Um, if you go on Instagram, it says Ben Hart with Ho. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> just throwing that out there. And I've had people approach me like, what's that supposed to say? I'm like, don't even think about it. Don't, don't even worry about it. Don't you overthink know? it. Uh, that's great. Well, um, I'm doing baseball in the not too distant future. Baseball season starts in about a month, so uh, I may be gone every now and then, starting uh, next month into uh, into March, possibly April. So, uh, if you want to follow me at Zach the Voice to keep up with baseball broadcasts, and I may actually have something else in the work. I auditioned for something else sports related today and i'll find out sometime next week if i got the job but uh pretty pretty excited about that too so uh, go wish him luck go follow my socials to to see if uh if i get that job and be sure to follow phantom empire for the book of boba fett review in two weeks time but i think we're gonna have to cut barbecue watch out of the show tonight because I got one. Just, I got one special plan for I next guess, week. Uh, so we'll we'll do like some dedicated barbecue time, maybe off the top, like just get barbecue out of the way, and then we, we don't can run out of time and miss it. Right, because I don't want to cut barbecue. That's like a staple. That's been a part of what we've done here at IPC for years. So maybe we'll lead off with barbecue next week. Someone will sue us. Someone will sue us if we don't think. You hear that thing about, like, they had a movie supposed to have Ana de Armas in it, and her fans, like, sued the movie because the false advertisement that she wasn't in actually in the movie, that's going to happen to us. We're going to be like, you didn't have barbecue watch, so we're suing you. Yeah, one of these days we'll get sued for false advertising, but don't know if that's happening this week. (laughs) But I think that is going to have to do it for this week's edition of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Another fantastic episode in the books. Our 340th episode in the books. We're going to hit 350 uh, by this summer, guys, which is just ridiculous to think about. But we're definitely not hitting that up tonight. So thanks to everybody that was a part of the chat. Thanks to everybody that tuned in. Thanks to everybody that's listening on your podcatchers. Uh, We hope that you'll be with us again in two weeks' time. But for Ben, I'm Zach Arnold. We're signing off for now. But until next time, good night, everyone.